Hello? Testing. Wow. I think I was singing with my mic off. No wonder I was having some problems. As I said, I... Scott, I'm going to sit up close today because our clicker doesn't want to click. That's why we have a little seat here for uh, Doreen. And uh, I'm going to pull up our PowerPoint for the day. Like I said, we are... This is an intro to prophecy. We actually started on uh, Wednesday night. This is in some way not repetitive. It's actually just much deeper than what we looked at. Okay, let's see here. There we go. We're in the process of looking at a whole new, um, there we go. Yeah, we've, we've got a problem here, but this thing just doesn't want to click. But anyway, <clears throat> I'm going to sit, if you don't mind. I can't do my usual prancing around that I like to do. But what we're talking about really today is hope. In 1 Thessalonians 4, when Paul, the apostle, recites to us what the rapture is all about, he ends up saying, therefore, encourage each other with these words. And I think we start remembering that that is the objective. That's the mission to where we're going to encourage each other with these words. We're not to scare each other or, oh, no, who is the Antichrist, or to get into all this silly stuff that we get into. It's to encourage each other with these words. I find it very encouraging to study prophecy. So I want to say my, my goal is not to find that nugget that nobody else has found. Uh, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in encouraging you. And so today, it is going to be a message of hope. Uh, it is an introduction, as I explained. This is the, you may recognize this, uh, Doreen. Doreen and Randy gave me a book that I love, and it's this book of 100 uh, prophecies. It's amazing prophecies, 100 that have come true in the past that we're living through now, and then 100, I guess the others are ones that haven't come, but they're ones that are going to come. So we're going to be looking at that. But I just like that, if not today. I did. Wow, how did I do that? Lorenzo? So, I want to tell you a little bit about my background. We can start off. I grew up in a... Huh? Do, do some prancing. Get out, get out of the way. I grew up in a Bible church. <clears throat> it was a Bible church that... Sorry, I'm going to be out of the film. It's a Bible church that was very Baptistic in its theology. It was formed by people who had gone to... Uh, Baptist seminaries out west, okay? And have any of you all ever heard of uh, a guy named Hal Lindsey? Hal Lindsey wrote the, the great, uh, great late planet Earth, right? Well, he would come often. Do you know what I did here, Lorenzo, so I don't do it again? Uh, anyway, Hal, Hal Lindsey would come, and he wrote the late great planet Earth. And, uh, and so... I began to think about prophecy at that time when I read that book and he would come to our church and talk. I even thought for a while maybe he was even a member of our church. He was there so often. But we talked about prophecy all the time. And as a young teenager, I kept thinking, wow, I don't even know if I'm going to make it to graduate from high school. So I, I think I was kind of spooked that way by everybody. And even yesterday, Tim Sandlin told me, Tim's down real bad today with gout, <clears throat> told me, he said, I just felt like Jesus was coming back so soon that I shouldn't even go to college or do anything else. So I don't think the idea is that we don't get a job and we don't plan a career, but that we realize that we're just sojourners here. 
we're just here. We're passing through. And I began, I came out of that same think tank as Hal Lindsey. And one of the thinkers in that think tank is Dr. House. Dr. House has written books. On, uh, so Dr. House is an expert in this. So I'm going to direct you if you have questions and maybe I'm overwhelmed with him or there's something deeper than I know, go to Dr. House. He's here. He's available. He's knowledgeable in this. I trust him. I trust his thinking. He's taught seminary, and he actually taught at the seminary where all these people came from, which was Dallas Theological Seminary. Now, another person that influenced me later in life was Dr. David Jeremiah. Dr. David Jeremiah is a great teacher, you know that I give out Dr. David Jeremiah study Bibles when someone's baptized here, and uh, we're going to gift one uh, this week to Amanda Friday, who's the editor. She wrote me and says, how do I buy one of those? I said, you're not going to. We're going to send you one. You do so much for this church. And uh, Dr. David Jeremiah was also a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary, among other seminaries. So a lot of my thinking <clears throat> comes out of, let's say, the earlier Dallas Theological Seminary thinking. And when I was in seminary in 2015, I wrote a paper on Matthew 24, which is called the Olivet Discourse. The Olivet Discourse was quoted a lot when we were in college, and it was about, you know, one's in the field, one's going to be taken, you know, all these things that were identified as the rapture event, and they were not supposed to be. The Olivet Discourse is not about the rapture, and I'm going to show you all that over the weeks that are coming up. Uh, David Jeremiah was an Ohio Baptist. <clears throat> he was raised in Ohio, brought up there. His dad was a Baptist pastor. Uh, he now has one of the largest uh, Southern Baptist churches in the entire country, which I believe is in, uh, is it in California, Dr. House? He's out in California. So he wrote something, and it was there when I was hearing and reading and listening to him during seminary, writing my paper on the Olivet Discourse, that I came to be a dyed-in-the-wool, what's called pre-trib believer. I believe that the tribulation, this event in which all believers and those who have died before us will all rise and, and be taken from planet earth before the coming of the tribulation. People come to me and they say, do you think that this, the vaccine is the, is the mark of the beast? No, I don't, because I won't be here when the mark of the beast is required of us. You guys may be, but I'm not going to be here because I'm a pre-trib believer. Uh, anyway, we love that Bible. I want to give a brief word about dispensationalism because a lot of my interpretation, uh, raise your hand if you've ever heard of dispensationalism, maybe half the group. Dispensationalism is the belief that God has interacted with mankind differently at different points in history. We got some of this with Rabbi Schneider when he talked about the progressive revelation of God. Do y'all remember that? When he said that the Jewish people had no concept of who Satan was till the time of their captivity, when Daniel was visited by the angel that said he had been at war in the heavens, remember that? That they did not know from the earliest time, and so God over time revealed himself. We have the advantage of having the book of Revelation that says that great serpent, Satan, you know, but the Jews, when they read Genesis, had no idea who the serpent was. This was revealed later, and this is dispensationalism, dispensations where God dispenses certain kinds of knowledge and certain ways that he interacts with men over time. And I may have that wrong, Dr. House, but that's kind of how I bring it up. The two main dispensations would be the dispensation of the law, which we talk about in here, the Mosaic law, 
and then the dispensation of grace in which we are living today. Is everybody with me on this? So you all kind of get this framework that we're working within. Uh, There is a edge group of dispensationalism, which I will call hyper-dispensationalism, that believe that the way that people, let's just say saved, got saved at different points in time was different. I don't believe that. I believe that faith, belief has always been God's measure of, of forming a relationship with him. And I believe that because of what the Bible tells us about Abraham. We're reading about Abraham. This is during the dispensation of the law. So it was not the law that saved Abraham. Look what the Scripture says. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. His belief was the test that God had. Prior to the service this morning, a couple asked me who are visiting, can we take communion here? Belief is the measure of whether you take communion here. And as Dr. House has quoted someone else telling us, he said, a mere glimpse at the cross is enough. Who was that that said that, Dr. House? Jonathan Edwards said, just a mere glimpse at the cross is enough. So if you're glimpsing at the cross and you believe just the littlest bit, you're qualified to take communion. You're the littlest bit believing that Jesus died for you, okay? And he continues now, to him who works, we don't work. Listen, the wages are not counted as grace, but as a debt. So here written in the Torah, or I'm sorry, this is Romans. Of course, Paul had known the Torah. He's saying what was given was not because of some work that had been done, but it was grace. But to him who does not work, but believes on him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. You should shout amen to that. It is our faith and our belief that count. Nothing else counts for a hill of beans. It will count for other things, perhaps for rewards that we have in heaven, okay? But it doesn't get you to heaven. As I tell Kathy Adamo, you can't cook enough cookies to get you there. Because she cooks cookies for everybody. Has since I was 10 years old, would come out in front of me where she lived. Do you want a cookie? So she's still doing that. But it is belief that is the the measure of faith. The end times dispensational of you, I believe, and you're saying, you're hearing now my belief on what Scripture says, Jesus will come again. He is coming back. All right? He will establish eternal peace between the nations. He will rule on the earth for a thousand-year period. All right? And Dr. David Jeremiah believes that David will rule with him sort of as a vice president. This viewpoint maintains that the Bible contains all kinds of prophecies. And I, we've got our young friend who's visiting from Ireland, and he's asked me, are there things that were said that really have come true? We're going to look at those things. We're going to look at a few today. All right? They deal with the birth, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Today we're going to look at some that talked about the reemergence of Israel as a people being gathered back to the land of Israel. And they're going to be gathered to two things, both a physical land and a spiritual land, because the Word tells us someday, and we'll talk about it in a minute, all of Israel will believe, and they'll look on him whom they have pierced. Who in the world could this be talking about? It's Jesus, Messiah. Reformist theologians, okay, are, and I, what I say, in my viewpoint, the Bible foretells what is the end of the ages, and it always revolves around what's happening in Israel. Years ago, I heard a television evangelist say that if you want to know God's foreign policy, keep an eye on the Jews. And I believe that with all of my heart. 
Israel, and I, I want to say this, Israel is Israel, and the church is the church. Don't think that the church replaced Israel. That is a reformist view. It's a reformist viewpoint, and I'm not Catholic bashing here. I probably never said the word Catholic in, in this sanctuary because it's not important to me, but reformist theology is Catholicism reformed. That's what reformist means, okay, along with infant baptism and some of those things that we as Baptists just don't practice. You can look on the website if you want to know what we believe. It's on there. This church in our, uh, in our bylaws and, in, and all, we adopted the Baptist Faith and Message of 2000. It's a confession that goes all the way back to the 1600s to a lawyer named Thomas Helwes who crafted the first Baptist Confession of Faith. I think it was 1611. And so he's kind of a silent hero of mine. I, I, I'm interested in Thomas Helwes, and he was a guy like me that was a lawyer that the Lord got a hold of him, and he was instrumental in forming the first Baptist church there in London. So Israel is Israel, the church is the church, and God made an everlasting covenant with the Jews, and everlasting, friends, means forever and ever and ever. So we're going to look at Scripture now in a minute, looking at, at those verses and chapters that tell us that God made this covenant and it hasn't come to an end. Two big things in this whole five week or however many weeks we do this course tell me that we are near the end times than we were maybe even when I was a little boy. One of them is the reestablishment of the Jews in Israel. My grandparents and my great-grandparents never dreamed that the Jews would be back in Israel. My mom tells stories of my great-grandfather who up in Cleveland, Texas, read his big Bible. He was a Bible-going Presbyterian, and he, he would wonder what Jerusalem was like. He would wonder what the Holy Lands was like. They don't have the advantage we do of seeing things on the Internet. I mean, it is so accessible to us now. And they just sat and wondered how the Jews would ever, ever come back to Israel, or was that all metaphorical? Was that just an allegory? And it's not. They came back on May the 14th, 1948, and established a nation. Okay, here is a nice graphic of what we're going to be talking about this morning, Israel being formed, and we're going to get right up to the Israel diaspora. That means when they were scattered, and these are the, this has all been sent to you now. You've got it in printed form, and then we're going to talk about uh, maybe the time of the church and then the the rapture. That's here. So we'll see how far we get. I'm not going to hurry through this stuff. I've decided that I, there's no timetable. Uh, I, I, there's no pressure for me to, to leave this ministry. I know y'all, none of y'all have asked me to go. So we're just going to stay here for a while and we're going to graze on this. Okay. So again, looking at the big picture, follow me now, because some of y'all said there's too much. We're just going to look this morning at Israel being formed. Okay. The fall of Israel, that's the diaspora, the scattering and then we're going to begin to talk a little bit about, about the rapture and the church age, which is here. And I'm going to tell you and explain what all of these things mean. We're going to save Palm Sunday and Jesus' crucifixion for Palm Sunday and for Easter Sunday, or as I call it, Resurrection Sunday. And I call it that for a reason. So on May the 14th, 1948, the most significant biblical event since Jesus went to heaven, I believe, was Israel, the Jews coming back to Israel. This is a gigantic thing, y'all. Some of you were alive to see it happen. It was eight years before I was born. And I don't know if you looked on 
Paul, maybe you were here then. Were you were you alive in 1948? I don't want to. I know your wife wasn't, but you might have been. And, uh, you know, I don't know if y'all looked on in wonder or if it was an event that no one really talked about. But, guys, this is huge. It's gigantic. It's gigantic, and it happened just like 10 years before many of us were born, which is just incredible, okay? It was born in a day. And why Israel? Why Israel? Now, the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, and go to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. There's some promises in here. I will bless you and make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. It does not say that all of the Christian families of the earth shall be, I mean, all of the Jewish families of the earth shall be blessed. All families of the earth will be blessed. So some people read this and they get resentful. Well, why did God pick the Jews? Why are the Jews God's chosen people? Is it because they're argumentative? If you've ever known any Jews, I grew up in a Jewish family, I mean, not a family, a Jewish uh, neighborhood, and all kinds of arguments happened. I one time went on a uh, Eastern Airlines flight in the very last days of Eastern Airlines. It was the last day before it went bankrupt, and I was with a whole airplane full of Jews who were from Miami, and they complained all the way there about no ice in the ice machine and not enough drinks and this and that, and, I, and when I got off, I had learned that these folks have a they had refined the art of browbeating. And they got there, and we were grounded because there was no money to refuel the plane. I mean, it was, it was wild. But anyway, who knows why? Moses said why. Moses wrote, the Lord did not set his love on you, Israel, nor choose you, Israel, because you were more in number than any other people. He's saying, y'all were just nothing. You were a little bitty group, okay? For you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers. God is a promise keeper, folks. He promised that land to the Jews forever and ever and ever, and it took them 2,000 years in the time that God allowed it to happen to come back to a land, and you know what? We get to see it in our lifetime. You can go home and look up Haaretz, that's the newspaper, and read it today from Jerusalem. Your parents and grandparents couldn't do this. Is this incredible or what? It is incredible. He made a covenant with Israel without condition. And the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are north, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. Genesis 13, 14 through 15. All of you received this sermon this morning or either late last night. I can't remember. And then we read in Genesis 17, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, that's, the, that's Israel, and your descendants after you in their generations for how long? How long? An everlasting covenant. If you're wondering... Is there still a place for the Jews in biblical prophecy? Then you need to memorize Genesis 17, 7 through 8. This is something we've got to get hammered down before we move forward at all, okay? To God and your descendants, also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, 
as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So there is going to be a physical regathering, all right? This is uh, one thing that our Irish friend needs to hear. There will be a physical regathering and then a spiritual one. Listen to this. This is Ezekiel writing, guys, 2,500 years before now. Listen to what he said. For I will take you from among the nations. How could he take them from the nations if they weren't out in the nations, right? They were all scattered in 70 AD, and a diaspora happened that we saw up on our graphic. And I will gather you out of all countries and bring you into whose land? Your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. That is interesting. This is talking about something coming later, okay? And you will be clean, and I will cleanse you from your filthiness and from all of your idols, and I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, all right? And I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them, and you will dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Has this happened? No, it hasn't. It's happened in part. There's been a physical gathering, but God has not changed the heart of the Jews, okay? They, they have, he has not put his spirit within them and caused them to walk in his statutes and keep judgments and do them. This is not talking about the church, guys. This is talking about Israel. God's not going to put a new spirit in us. We never had anything else. Okay, when we came to the Lord, the first deposit, Randy, that we received was the Holy Spirit. I used to say down payment. I've eliminated that from my vocabulary. Down payment implies that i got to make more payments, right? We don't have to make any more payments. When you accepted the Lord, Linda, the Holy Spirit came in you, and that was the first deposit of all you're going to receive of heaven and all the other riches and the inheritance that come to you. He says, you, Israel, will be my people, and I will be your God. So there's these promises of regathering. I'm saying there's a physical regathering, and there is a spiritual regathering. The physical regathering is happening before our eyes. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left from, listen, Assyria, Egypt, They've all been pulled out of Assyria now. They've all been pulled out of Egypt now from Pathros and Cush. That's down there in, in Libya. That's down there in Somalia. That's down there in, in north, the Sudan. They were flown out of the Sudan, guys, in our lifetime. It was amazing. They took a 747, and they emptied it out and loaded all these Jews in there from Africa and flew them into Israel. And here it is in Isaiah 11. And he will set a banner up for the nations and will assemble the outcast of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from where? The four corners of the earth. I'm sorry that he's left the room because this is an amazing prophecy, probably one of the most outstanding prophecies that we can look at and say, yeah, this has happened. No interpretation needed. It's happening right now today. There's people, if we were be at Ben-Gurion Airport this morning, there would be Mobs of new people coming in. I think Israel now has eight or nine million. They're coming in from the four corners of the earth exactly like Isaiah predicted. No, Hitler sent nobody. He sent them to, to prison camps to be burned. And let me address that. I'm glad you brought that up. 
the the word holocaust means a burnt offering. Did y'all know that? We all think it just means something horrible that happened. It means a burnt offering. And there are some that believe, I believe, that this horrible offering had to happen, this terrible injustice of humanity against other humanity to bring about sympathy in the hearts of the nations to allow the Jews to set up a place in Israel. It was like a price that was paid to bring about sympathy. So in that respect, did he send them to Israel? Yeah, because the United Nations, after it was all over, said, we've got to find a place to let the Jews go, and this is their historic homeland. So that's the promise of a regathering. We're barely scratching what I had for today, and that's okay. It means this is where we'll take up in a minute next week. So to understand Bible prophecy, you must understand that God gave his chosen people the real estate that we call the Holy Land. You, got, you can't understand anything else if you don't believe that and understand that. We had a guy come and speak. He was a Presbyterian pastor that I brought to First Baptist when I was there. And when he got there, I said, we were talking. He says, I don't think there's anything special about the Jews. He was totally Reformed theologian. And it was very, very sad for me because it was like he had no hope, could not even see what God was doing today on the tabletop of the world. I mean, really, it was just bizarre. We've seen where God promised, okay, and I don't need to go through all that again, this unconditional promise. I've given you the backup. And then we have the fall of Jerusalem. Again, our friend, I wanted to read this to him. The fall of Israel was prophesied so many times by so many prophets, it's hard to even list them all. But Jesus specifically talked about the destruction of the temple and the fall of Jerusalem. And all of this is recorded in a former priest whose name was Josephus, whom the uh, Dr. House was explaining to me his background. I was astonished to learn it, that he was arrested basically by the Romans and began to write a history. He was an eyewitness to all these things that happened. So here in Luke, it says, uh, now as he drew near, talking about Jesus, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, if you had known even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for peace. He said, if you had just recognized who I am, I am Shalom. I am the peace that is like no other peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you. They will surround you, close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus is saying there's going to be a horrific thing that's going to be brought about in Jerusalem where the temple will be destroyed and there won't even be another stone on another. It'll be burned, it'll be rubble, and those of you all who have been to Israel, like I've been, it is amazing. As you walk around on the streets of Jerusalem today, you are 15 to 30 feet above all of the rubble that's underneath you that, that the Romans just completely destroyed Jerusalem. Yeah, it's astonishing. So prophecy foretold Jesus' life, his ministry, his death, and like I said, we're going to look at that. I don't call Resurrection Sunday Easter. You're not bad if you do. I don't. You'll never hear me say it. Uh, I believe, just from my linguistic abilities and studies, that the name Easter comes from pagan sources. I don't use it. Uh, you're, you're, like I say, you're not bad if you talk about the Easter bunny or Easter eggs, but I call it Resurrection Sunday because that's what I celebrate is the res resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to get to all that on Palm Sunday. Now I want to talk about the church age. 
And maybe we'll end with this because I want to have a meaningful time of communion today. But if we look at this chart, this is one by uh, Tommy Ice and Wayne House and Randall Price that he has lent me. Thank you, Dr. House. Basic approaches to prophecy. This is the church age, okay? And I just want to explain this because we are enjoying the church age this morning. The church age speaks of the time from Pentecost. What happened on the day of Pentecost? Huh? The church received the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, okay? That is, that is God living within each of us who have come to a saving knowledge of Christ. That means whatever doubt you're in, whatever problem you're in, you can say, Holy Spirit, guide me in this. And, and Michael and I talk about this a lot. You know, you get to all of these forks in the road in your life. You can trust the Spirit of God, and you trust it, and you look at God's Word. And when you're in the Word and, and you're walking in the Spirit, you can trust the directions that God takes you in. You know, don't ever mistake them for your own directions, but you can trust them. So from the moment that the church received the Holy Spirit, right at when did the, it receive? How many days after the cross did the church receive the Holy Spirit? Do you remember, Cassandra? It's, it's 50 days. All right? The day of Pentecost. That penta means 50. It's 50 days after Jesus went to the cross that we received him within ourselves. Isn't that an incredible thing? It's also interesting that 50 days after Passover in Egypt, or approximately maybe in 51 or 49, some of y'all will argue with me, that Israel received the law. Is that a coincidence? There's no coincidence in the things of God, all right? So Israel received the law, and we received the Holy Spirit, and thus began the church age. And we're living in the church age this morning. The church age will go until that moment when we go to be with the Lord in the air. Paul, amen. Thank you. Somebody amen that. Paul, the apostle, was addressing the church in Thessaloniki, a little place in Greece. Some of y'all have been to Thessaloniki. I like to say Thessaloniki. He, he was addressing them because they said, well, what happens because Jesus hadn't come back to those who have died? Are they going to go to heaven or what? And listen what Paul tells us. This is the event, and we'll start with this next Sunday. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Matter of fact, you guys read that with me. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. That he meant that it died. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, raptured, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. What, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Devin, the big idea today is we comfort one another with these words. Guys, we are given a roadmap of what's going to happen. Please don't write me and argue with me about what time of the day it's going to happen or how loud the trumpet will be, because I don't care. I just know it's going to happen, okay? 
It's going to happen exactly like the Bible says it, and God tells us all that we need to know so we can comfort one another with these words. And then Paul addresses it again in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52. He says, Behold, now I tell you a mystery. A mystery is a truth that was previously not known, okay? Or it was previously unrevealed. Good morning, my sister. I am so glad to see you today. Hallelujah. You came for the best part. All right. That's okay. Yeah, all these people showed up for Sunday school today. Janie, I love you, and I and I'm glad you're an I'm glad you're an hour late. You know why? Because it's right when you're supposed to be here. Because you're going to hear right now that the Lord will descend. There will be a trumpet. There will be a voice shouting, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we that remain are going to be with Him. All of Union Grove Cemetery over there is going to pop up. Those that know the Lord, and they're going to meet Him halfway in there. And we're if it happens in ten minutes, we're going to sail up there with them. Okay. And Paul says to encourage one another with those words. So if you've come today at this time, what you need to hear is be encouraged. Don't be afraid of any events you see taking place because we are to encourage one another with these words. Paul tells us, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That means not everybody's going to be dead when he comes, okay? But we shall all be changed instantaneously. Those people that died in the Pacific in World War II, some mysterious way, God is going to reconstitute them, bring them back together in a glorified body. They're going to be risen. We're going to be risen, and I'm not going to have pain in my feet anymore or arthritis in my back, all right? It'll be a reconstituted us. What an amazing thing. That's what Paul tells us. And how long will it take to happen? In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, incorruptible. That means never to die again, all right? And we shall be changed. Be encouraged by these words. Be encouraged by these words. Lorenzo, lead us in prayer as Pastor Michael and Pastor Larry come up to lead us in communion.